Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Welcome to Culture Bites. My name's Dominic Gawley. I'm a consultant with Human Synergistics Australia, and I'm joined by the head of our head of consulting, Corinne Cantor. Hey, Corinne. Hi, Dom. How are you? I'm good. So, Corinne, talking about culture, our favorite topic, <laughs> people often frame it as a kind of morale thing and all that, but we like to talk about it in terms of performance. Mm. So what does that mean? How does a culture actually impact that performance you know, for an organization, what matters? Yeah, I want to. Um, so, if I just can build a little bit of my own frame around that, Dom, I think that when we think about culture, it's usually run by people and culture team. Yeah. Okay. And I want to add to our understanding of what the gift of what culture gives. Mm. Okay, and why it's important to the business. Mm. So, one of the things about culture is that it will either slow you down when you need to make change or it will help accelerate your ability to change. So the impact on performance is really how well your culture sets you up to adapt to changing circumstances. Does that make sense? Yes. So the kind of culture you have as an organisation either helps momentum, build momentum to keep moving and sustaining performance over time, or it slows momentum mm. and stagnates. Mm. Okay. So it's so, either the highway or the, the speed bumps. Correct. Yep. That's a good analogy, actually. And so I don't think, I think in everything that we do when we hear about culture in the marketplace, I think that gets missed. Mm. Okay. And I think I, I wanted to spend a bit of time to talk about that. So some of the research that we did that came out of Ingrate Company and then Sean McCarthy built on that research and refined it, showed us that culture plays a role in helping organizations adapt. Okay, so culture is what happens when people have a shared way of doing things that allow it to perform a series of tasks uh. that help it operate in its environment. Uh. So if you think about momentum, what the research found was there were three phases, if you like, and they're not necessarily developmental because you might start in the middle, right? but as a way of describing it. So at one level, a culture that is defensive, by that I mean it's got a lot more aggressive, defensive and green, passive passive defensive, defensive, Mm -hmm. is likely to have what we call a reactive culture. And so what we mean by that is As the environment changes, an organization whose culture is too defensive is going to be slow to adapt to the environment. They're going to be slow to meet the changing needs of their customers. So what happens if you can't meet the changing needs of your customer? They're going to go and shop somewhere else. You fall behind. That's right. So you're vulnerable Mm. to your your business slowing down and possibly stagnating. Mm. So what do I mean by how the culture might actually inhibit change? Yeah. So let's look at it in turn. If you've got a really defensive culture, and I'm going to talk about it, Cluster Dom, yeah. first because it's the easiest way to do it. If you've got an organization that's got a culture that's got a lot more passive defensive in it, so green, 
That's like starting to put the brakes on, okay, because or riding the brakes, depending if you've got a lot of green in there, it means that people feel like they've got to be really careful. They've got to do things, not just the right things, they've got to do things in the right way, because if they don't do it in that way, they might get into trouble. So green culture tends to be slower because it's more passive. People are reluctant to make mistakes. They're focused on not being the one blamed, They're on mm. keeping other people happy, on Follow. following the rules, mm. even if it's not the right thing to do and they don't believe it's the right thing to do at the moment. And so when you've got a culture that's focused on passive defensive, people become far more concerned with how we do things internally. Okay, yes. so you get an inward mindset mm. rather than an outward mindset. And suddenly we stop looking at what is happening in the world and we get too caught up and hijacked by how we need to behave internally in order to keep people happy. Change is threatening yeah. for that kind of organisation because what are the messages I hear? Follow the rules, do what you're told, avoid responsibility. Keep people happy. Stay on people's good side. Yep. And right. even if you have a better idea, just go with the... Say yes and yeah. nod. <laughs> so what that means is, from a momentum point of view, is people are so busy trying to meet the internal, this insular view, that we don't notice that change is happening and therefore we don't adapt our processes, our ways of working mm. until the change is well gone and ahead. So that's like with a, a passive defensive. So oh. we find that organisations at that level, highly defended, sometimes they're in denial and so they're not, they don't even know that things have changed. And, you know, if you've ever worked in a passive defensive culture, it's hard to get anything done. Mm, mm. Like, let's change, let's do it. It's like, mm. oh. Well, let me give you an example. This is the way we've always done yeah. it, though. Why would we change? And one of the examples we use in extreme thinking, which isn't, it's an oldie but a goodie, is the Kodak example. Huh. Okay, so 1978, it was a Kodak engineer that discovered. The digital camera, correct, right? Correct, that's mm. right. But the response that they've got from the leadership is, great idea, but let's not promote it, you know, or go with it. Because they were afraid that their developing, you know, the film film developing would be compromised. And so, of course, what happened was they failed to read the external signs that it's really digital where it it was going to go. So this is an organisation from a cultural point of view that was too concerned with actually and too attached to where it was and wasn't reading the signs externally. But, you know, does that mean that an aggressive culture is better? No, you know? that also comes with speed bumps. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Go so, on. well, yeah. so, you know, if we're over there and trying to make change, if you think of what sits under the aggressive clusters, opposition, I'm going to tell you 50 reasons why that's not going to work. Exactly. Well, that's a bad idea. That's right. Power, which actually, you know, I need to control stuff. So change mm. is threatening for mm. one. Mm. But two, it often goes hand in hand with a passive culture because I, you know, we're going to, it's often like management's going to tell you what to do and you're going to do it yep. kind of stuff. So they often yep. go hand in hand. Well, you're competing with one another. So everybody's got the better idea. Every department's got its own way of doing things. Wasn't and invented so, here. Yeah, you get silos, you know. And so it means that the effort of the organisation is scattered across many individual departments and there's no momentum being built the more, at the yeah. system level. 
So, and the other thing I think too with the, um, and you said this before, Dom, that it can feel fast. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of action, which can also happen in the passive defensive. So it can feel fast because everybody's busy, but it can be reckless because there's no actual, it's too reactive. It's too, too fast. People aren't really thinking about being purposeful about what they're trying to achieve and why they're doing it and how it helps move forward. Having been in some of these cultures myself, I think we end up spending a ton of energy on internal battles. Yeah. Right? We're oppositional internally. Hmm. Right? So I'm trying to, like, get this thing over the line and everyone's going to come up with why it can't work for them or whatever. Oh, it's so tough going. Or why it can't work and why this my idea would be better. It's better, right? Compared to all perfectionistic, we've got... I remember trying to roll out a program in a company and it was, without going into too much detail, basically in the training programs, people would come up with like every conceivable scenario which might break the, you know, idea, the process kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's like, if that ever happens, I'll buy everyone a bloody a drink, <laughs> you know, because like you're coming up with such a, you know, what it's, if? it's a full moon with a high tide and, you know, <laughs> the wind's blowing a certain way yep. and therefore this happens. It's like, well, if that ever happens, we'll deal yeah. with it at the time, but it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, it's funny. It's like the worst case scenarios, but the worst case scenarios are often the unlikeliest scenarios. It's so unlikely. And so I think it's, you know, sometimes we sort of think that, you know, if I have to choose between a red and a green, I'll go with a red culture. But, you know, there are problems with having an aggressive defensive culture and it can feel fast and fast pace, but it doesn't make it effective in terms of building momentum that helps to sustain growth and progress over time. And and I think it's because we spend our time winning the internal battles rather Mm. than winning the battles out in the marketplace. And that's right. What they have in common is neither cluster when it describes the culture is focused outside on our customers or who it is that we, we exist for. We're too caught up in our own internal squabbles. So I think at the in terms of phase, that first phase is it's hard for an organization to get off the ground mm. and make progress if they're stuck in this highly defensive culture. Mm. So we call that the reactive phase. Mm. The second phase, and what we might do, Dom, is talk about each of the phases. There's two more to go and then talk about how to move from one yeah, to another. Yeah, cool. Let's do it. So the next phase is if the first one's reactive, the next phase is responsive. So what happens with a culture that's responsive, you now have some constructive element to the culture. So you you might have kind of half-half, you know, depending. You might have a, quite a bit of a constructive style, but you've also got this equal amounts attention point with defensive style also being quite high, or mm. you might have slightly more defensive than you are a constructive, but you've built the constructive capital in your culture. What difference does that make to an organization? It now means that instead of being outpaced by the environment, it is less insular. It is less hijacked by internal squabbles and competition and silos or being concerned with, you know, dotting all the T's and crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's for the (laughs) sake of it. And it's more concerned with being efficient in problem solving, okay? So it's seeing the writing on the walls, and so it's more responsive to understanding that we need a plan to change. So what happens in a responsive culture, organizations now see, are tracking what's happening in the environment, 
and they've got a planned approach to changing and they've got a clear why and they've probably got a clear plan for how they're going to go about doing it. The opportunity for Mm. responsive cultures, because in the use of the word responsive, it's still being triggered, the change still being triggered by the environment. Right. So I'm still following. So we're still a follower, yeah. Yep, still following. It happened, I saw it, we see it, and we're going to implement the change. So others started making the digital camera, so we better get onto it as well. Correct, that's exactly right. And so it's great that I can see it and I'm not, uh, the organisation isn't so far behind that it can't catch up, okay? But it still needs to be mobilised through a trigger, okay? Mm. Something has forced us to change. And in some ways, you know, COVID was an interesting example Mm. because I think everybody was surprised how a trigger, like a pandemic, could actually create such fast, purposeful pace Mm. in getting people to work from home and businesses keep operating. But some organisations still struggled with it, you know. So the responsive stage is a more progressive place to be than in the reactive phase. Yeah, I mean, it's sounding better from your description. Yeah, and you can hear it, right? Even Mm. from the description, you can start to hear the payoff Mm. from having that higher level of constructive capital in it. But the opportunity is really not to wait to be triggered into action and with a plan, but to actually be on the front foot. So that leads us to the third phase, Mm. which is really a regenerating, regenerative Phase, And I would almost say that that's kind of akin to having a culture that allows you to pioneer, okay, Mm. to set the pace. So your organization values an outward mindset. And so the culture said signals to people about keeping up to date with what's going on in the environment, continuous improvement, developing and growing self and teams and organizations so that we can foresee the trends that might actually impact our our organisation, our work. And so in a regenerating, you regenerate, okay, so you're not ever resting on your laurels. You've constantly got one eye out there because you're curious about how the world is evolving. But equally, you're also curious about how the organisation can continue to evolve and how I as an individual can continue to grow. So in a regenerating or regenerative organisation, you've got the flip is that the constructive culture, the constructive element is much higher. So the achievement's much higher, the self-actualising is much higher, and the, the humanistic and encouraging. So the blue is much stronger and more definitive than the security orientation. So it doesn't mean that we're not careful in terms of looking at the action that we do. It doesn't mean that we're not concerned with critical thinking or devil's advocate, but all of those defensives, they might be there, but the 50th percentile a bit less. And it's within the context of clear vision, clear purpose, seeking to understand the future trends and how that might impact us. So that's a regenerating stage Ah. and that's really proactive pace setting. So we talked about the messages we'd be hearing under the passive and the aggressive. So what are the messages people would be hearing under the constructive, regenerative stage? Stage. In, in that stage, people are hearing things like be open, embrace change, you know, be open to change, 
be curious about what's happening and and notice what's happening in terms of customer behaviour. Encourage people to try new things, to experiment and not be worried to fail Mm. because we're going to take it on board as a, a learning. You might have a culture where people are, in terms of innovation, encouraged to actually run some experiments if they want to try something new rather than kind of have to mount an old school kind of, I mean, still do a business case, but having to get everybody on board and you end up with a compromise of what the solution is. So the message is do your best, seek to understand outside as well as the inside, grow yourself, you know, learn see mistakes as a learning opportunity rather than a failure. So it's really that growth mindset versus the fixed mindset that goes Mm. with the defensive styles. Mm. Set challenging but realistic goals. Your effort makes a difference. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. Yep. You know, and set some moderately difficult goals. Stretch. Stretch goals, yeah. Yeah. It reminded me of an interview I did a while ago on Culture Bites with Pat McCafferty from... Yarra Valley Water, CEO of, or Managing Director of Yarra Valley Water, who have a super constructive culture. And what's really cool about them is he, he talked about their mission yeah. and that, you know, I guess traditionally or what you would assume it was, was, you know, to provide clean drinking water and, you know, take care of sewage or something like that. Yeah. But actually their mission they defined is around sustainability. Yeah. Right. So it's actually, and so they're actually looking beyond their, like, core competency, yep. I suppose, or, yep. or whatever you want to call that. And so they're doing new things like they created this food waste recycling plant where mm. supermarkets and restaurants pay them to take the food scraps. They used some expertise they had internally or with the guys who do the wastewater and stuff because they're all scientists mm. and stuff. And they generate electricity from the food waste, which then powers the water recycling mm. plant. You know, But this is that They've now gone beyond the obvious, which is what we do. We Mm. do water. Mm. They're doing electricity, Mm. food waste, but it's all about sustainability. It's quite interesting, Dom, because I wonder if I think about the other organisations who might be at that level, often the mission isn't about what they do or why they, no, not about what they do in terms of activity. It's often linked to the social, a societal purpose or an experience in the community. Mm. So it's not about the activities that they're caught up with. It's not about being number one. You know, it's really about a bigger... Making an impact. Making an impact. Mm. And so the values that come from that are much broader, but they're connected, you know. Well, because that was his thing. It's like we're on the front line of climate change. Water yes. in Australia yes. is the front line yep. of climate change, So it's right? got to be about sustainability. So they've got to be about sustainability. And to your point, social kind of, well, that is a social mm. impact, but also they're involved in this initiative where essentially it was about, you know, people p- struggling to pay their bills, struggling to pay their water bill, mm. right? So they, they started a group that would work with people if they're struggling to pay their water bill. But of course, they realize if they're struggling to pay their water bill, it's probably the same for their electricity bill, you know, their gas bill, mm. all this kind of stuff. So they actually created like a consortium, a group. It's a great example. Where they have a combined approach mm. to actually, you know, if someone's in financial hardship, how do they gas, electricity, water, work with that person to actually help them get great. back on, you know, back yeah, on track. Yeah, that's a perfect, perfect example of actually thinking more broadly. 
The other thing I was thinking in terms of the mission, it's got that community societal edge, but it's also future focused. Uh, okay, because if you've got a mission that's future focused, it encourages an outward mindset. Uh, okay, versus if you've got a mission that's more about what I do and it's in the here and now, it's really can, you know, sometimes organizations get too attached to their success uh, and defend those quarters it. results. That's right. And look, there's nothing wrong with making money. We need to do that to mm, fund mm, the investment mm, and, and all that kind of stuff to stay in business. But it's short term. If, if we're going to make a difference, we've got to. Yeah. But it's, it's been sustainable over the long term. Yeah. Sustainable and also, you know, thinking about building momentum in terms of motion, you know, over mm. time, sustainable in the long term. And if you're only ever short term, you're really just looking for what will get you to the next quarter, you know. And so the decisions that you make, to survive the next quarter, you might be renting success rather than actually building yeah. real success, you know. Stealing, was it stealing from Stealing Peter? from the future, you Stealing know. from Peter to pay Paul or whatever yeah. it is. So I'm interested because you promised us earlier that you're going to talk about <laughs> how we move from yeah. these stages. And I just want to couch it because what I've seen mm. organisations do is try to kind of skip to the end. Yeah. You know, so we're going to be regenerative, so we're going to be really innovative. So people try and steal what does Google do? Yeah. You know, or even I was talking about Yarra Valley Water. What are Yarra Valley Water mm. doing? We can do the same mm. thing, but it doesn't work. Yeah. And the reason it doesn't work is that they don't have the culture to actually support that The thing. culture, they don't have the foundation, you know, so mm. like they're trying to skip to the top without actually having the building blocks. And so if you're in the reactive stage, so say you've got your culture data and it shows more security oriented, so more red and green than blue then that stage is probably the one that requires the most amount of effort to lift out mm. of that security orientation. But the kind of things that you really need to work on at that stage to start moving you forward and building momentum is a very clear mission. Now, whether you call that, whether that's purpose in your language, whether it's vision, whether it's mission, it's a clear direction and mm. it's about who you are and what you stand for. Mm. Okay, now it's one of those things that sometimes vision and mission are done quite lightly, you know, by because we're supposed to, kind yeah, of, because yeah. we're supposed to, or maybe this, you know, the CEO's done it. Now, it's a really important factor because if you're not clear at that top level about why the organization exists, who you are, what you stand for, and what good looks like, sustainability in Yarra Valley, it is very hard to set a kind of goals uh. that help to achieve that. So if you're not clear at the mission, purpose, vision, whatever it means in your, however you reference it, it's very hard to give clarity around goals to teams and to individuals. If we don't have clear direction, we can't move forward. Correct. Right? So that mission and values, who we are, what we stand for, what we value uh is an anchor point. Okay? Yes. It, it creates a toward state and everything else comes back from that. So that's the first thing to spend time on. Uh -huh. Sometimes organisations have a purpose, a vision, a mission. They have values, but nobody quite knows what it means. They don't love it. Yeah. Yep. So if it's ambiguous, you need to clarify it. If you've had it and people know the name of it, but they don't know what it looks like in action, then you need to help operationalize it. You need to translate it into what it looks like when we're doing it well 
in this team, in this team, in that team. And just because you know it as the executive doesn't mean everyone knows it. Yeah, right? exactly. And, and here's the thing. I don't think everyone needs to know the strategic plan down to every mm. dot item or whatever, but they need to understand the broad strokes clearly mm. and what that means for them. Yeah, absolutely. And and how do I know that I am contributing? So there's got to be a line of sight. Yeah. But if there's nothing up the top, I can't hang my effort on that. I, I don't know that what I'm doing makes a difference. Yep. So mission's really important. The other thing that's going to be really important is to get people involved. So one of the things that we've been doing in our work is actually getting people, huge amounts of people involved quickly, early in cultural change. Because what we know is the more people who buy into it, this sense of growth, this sense of momentum, the faster it happens. The other thing is you get ownership, okay? So that if you get people involved in who we are, what we stand for, what does good look like, you're more likely to get traction in those values and in the behaviours required, the goal-setting practices required in order to deliver it. So involve people often and early Mm. so that they're having a say in the decisions that impact them. The third thing that's really important is this autonomy, okay? So in a culture that has momentum, people are able to, they're clear about the parameters of what they can and can't do, the decisions they can and can't make. If all the decision-making is held centrally and up there mm. at the leadership level, the organization's going to go quite slowly because leaders become a bottleneck then. Mm. Leaders cannot be everywhere. And so if you're able to specify what people can do and not do in terms of autonomy, then people are free to move on decisions. They know what risks they can take. They know what decisions they can make. The the field I'm playing in. I know where I can play. Yeah, 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 great. Because when it's grey, I don't want to get too close to the boundary because I might step, I'm not sure where it is. I might step over it. So I'm going to delegate upwards. So that's about, you know, the mission is creating meaning, shared meaning around the context and the the field, Mm. okay? Mm. The autonomy is telling me where I am in the field Mm. and the position that I play play Mm. and where can I play and how far I can go. It's a great analogy, Dom. The third thing that we would call out in this is what we call goal emphasis, and this is about the leader setting example and constantly referencing the goal, where we're going, what we're doing, how well we're doing, what good looks like. It's kind of like the the captain on the field and actually the cheering. I know we're going, we're developing this metaphor. metaphor. That's right. It's the captain on the field at the breakdown, at half time, you know, before they go off. Pick up the effort. It's the huddle. Come together. Yep. Let's not, we know we missed that point, but let's not get that down. Let's focus on, you know, the The playbook and the next 10 minutes. So they're the three things. Mission, get people involved, employee involvement, and also the leader's role is really about emphasizing the goal, that outward mindset, that forward-looking momentum, keep going. So that's kind of moving from reactive, that'll get you to responsive stage. And what about responsive to regenerative? Yeah, so from a responsive stage, what happens is that you're really looking at building the personal motivation. Okay. So the first stage is about creating meaning within specific contexts. 
and helping people understand what the field is and their position in that field. The second thing in responsive about moving to regenerating is now really helping people to get motivated, that intrinsic motivation, so that you've got the individual momentum. And that's really around recognizing effort, rewarding and recognizing the effort as well as results, as well as the behaviors you want to see more of. So it's more use of recognition and reward, less use of punishment. So what happens in, and let me, you know, punishment sounds quite strong, but what happens in a defensive culture is punishment or even negative reinforcement is used to get people not to do things, okay? So if I make a mistake in a highly defensive culture, I might, my leader might call that mistake out in a team meeting or in a town hall and I'll get embarrassed. And everyone and everybody knows. I don't want to be. Yeah. And everybody has learnt not to make a mistake because you might be humiliated in public. Or it might be that my leader gets upset with me and starts to stops the amount of time they spend with me. Mm. And I actually had a leader say that to me the other day. Unconsciously they realized that they'd started to avoid somebody who'd made a very big mistake and it was very difficult. So what happens is you don't you're not looking to punish people. You, you're having to really look at what happens when mistakes are made in an organisation. But also, how do you help people keep moving towards state and then rewarding and recognising them? Oh. So you're building that motivation. It's an interesting one, punishment, because it's not that we just ignore problems, yeah. but we address them with a mindset to improving yeah, rather than a mindset to punishing. Punishing or to blame. Yeah. That's right. The other thing is too is that so that's kind of using systems like reward and recognition, which is an external motivator, but it's a support to helping people realize that their effort makes a difference. Uh. So that means doing things like developing people, having objective appraisal, you know, performance objectives, developing people so that they can grow and live up, live into you know, their whole potential. It's oh. um, So it's things like, you know, coaching them. So you're really developing people's capability to realize their potential. Through that, you want them to get a sense that their effort makes a difference, that they are learning and that they are hopefully enjoying their work. Uh-huh. And if you've got that, then that's got a better chance of motivating, lighting the fire in the belly. Uh-huh. And so that it sort of sustains itself at an individual level. So at this stage, you're really focused on firing up individuals to help them and support them to be at their best. So the last stage then, so the first stage was about creating meaning and context. The second stage is about creating personal motivation or supporting the growth of personal uh, motivation. motivation. Mm. The third stage is about achieving sustainable performance. So Mm. it's kind of maintaining momentum. And at this level, you're really looking at the structures and the systems that tend to embed, institutionalize, codify culture. So once you've started to create meaning, you then create the behaviours that you need. Now you need the systems to reinforce and embed and code. So that's about there being 
a clear relationship between cause and effect. So having, if we're talking about teamwork and we want to encourage collaboration, then some of the systems we need to maintain the momentum around that is goals that are team goals as much as individual goals. We want recognition of team achievements as much as individual achievements. So the systems are like, to me, they're like wheels on a training wheels on a bike. So they, they're the guardrails. They help the organization embed and deepen uh. the culture, you know, to get it going. So that's really at that stage, you're constantly looking for practices and, and habits and processes that help reinforce this future focus, this growth mindset, this collaboration leaders as a way of, of coaching for best performance. Uh, so that's like a little bit about the building momentum in organisation and how culture shapes just, that. Just got one question for you, because obviously those are hitting some of those causal mm. factors that we measure and mm. culture. If we're in the reactive phase, mm. for example, is it worth spending any time on the systems and processes or like do they still help or should we just forget those spend and focus on the mission involving being a captain. Yeah. When we um, wrote In Great Company, I guess that ended up emerging as one of the issues. Look, I think that sometimes the systems are the easiest place to start because it's where people have some influence. What we learned from In Great Company is that the systems that you design after your leaders have undergone awareness and change mm. is different than the systems that mm. exist before. And so I think that ideally the place to start will will be leadership and activating leaders and employees. So that employee involvement and leadership development as a way of involving employees. So that's always going to be, say always, that's going to be probably the best start. Okay. So so it's all helpful. Yeah. But what's critical is getting clear on the mission. Yeah. Involving people. Yeah being that you know, goal emphasis. Correct. And at the end of the day, if that's the only place that you think you can start, then just start, you know, because yes. it's, about, it's about moving. What happens in a culture that's too security-oriented, part of the issue is mm. that for all the movement, they're standing still. Mm. And so you've really just got to get a positive action. And it might be that you start small and you start with some systems in a division that's ready to go, you know. So I think as you said, everything, anything that is a positive move forward is going to be useful to developing constructive culture. If you are able to prioritise it, then it's really leadership, employee involvement, mission, clarity of mission, and also, so I would say mission, clarity of purpose and values, leadership, employees. And the reason I do mission first is that leaders and employees, when they get involved, need to have a mission. A North Star. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they need yeah. to know what they're aiming for. Yeah, awesome. All right, Corinne, thanks for taking us through that. I'll tell you what, on the, um, in the show notes for this podcast, we'll, we'll put a link to the blog on our website. Yeah. And we'll have, because there's a few graphics and stuff that might yeah. help people understand. And we've actually um, got a few papers that we can upload, because this was a, a two-stage kind of research process, but we'll put those papers up as well. Yeah, so if you want to learn more, mm. check out the notes of the show and there'll be a link. And on our website, you can download those papers and have a read. 
And if it generates more questions for you, let us know. Yeah, terrific. So we'd love to answer them either on the podcast or on email or whatever it might be, but fire them through. All right, thanks for your time today, Corinne. Thank you, Dom. See you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia, all rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au. Thank you.